Hey everyone, this is uh, the first interview dump track for GDC 2014. Uh, so the first session in the narrative track uh, at GDC here on Monday. Uh, I had a chance to talk to uh, Hugo Giard and uh, Jill Murray who worked on Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry, uh, the DLC which is uh, explicitly focused on Adewale uh, who was the sidekick in uh, AC4 uh, but in Black uh, uh, Black Flag, Black Flag's original game, Freedom Cry, uh, Adewale is uh, dealing with uh, trying to uh, help out uh, a group of individuals, some revolutionaries in uh, in what would be modern-day Haiti, uh, in order to try and free some slaves there. And the game deals with a lot of heavy subjects, and uh, their talk was about, uh, it was kind of called Beyond Fun, uh, in which uh, can games uh, engage subject matter that uh, we often see in books and, and films, but we don't really see games tackling as much. So I managed to catch them for about 20 minutes after their talk, and... Uh, when I throw it over to the three of us. Sorry if it's kind of hard to listen to. It wasn't the most ideal spot, but I did what I could with the audio. So, enjoy. First thing I kind of want to talk to you guys about was how you started out your talk with sort of this definition of fun, right? Which is sort of used by games as like the main metric by which we measure whether it's an enjoyable experience. And then you guys pointed to like a lot of films, you know, 12 Years a Slave, other films like that, that we wouldn't call as fun, but we certainly call entertainment or we get something out of that. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering if you guys could, you know, kind of talk about that idea a little bit about, you know, sort of reconstructing uh, what we necessarily get out of games. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and this all comes back to being asked a lot uh, whether slavery is too risky a topic for games and, and really just feeling like there's there's like nothing that games aren't up to in terms of storytelling and that um, any limitations people perceive on the medium, they, they come from another place another place, like simply just the tastes of developers who have come before. Um, and so, I don't know, my, my previous work I was, uh, I wrote young adult novels about, uh, you know, teenagers breakdancing. <laughs> um, and those, those books have cover issues of, of sexuality and, and race and community and inclusivity and, and stuff like that. And I feel like nothing really changed from my work when I came over to games in terms of how I approach things in a character-driven manner. I'm still interested in people in society. Uh, so I've been really lucky to be put on these games um, that have themes like that that we can dig into. And um, yeah, fun itself is really hard to define. Like there are many different enjoyable states, like when you're when you like what you're working on and you're in a kind of like state of flow, or like I said in the presentation, um, when you figure out a puzzle or when when you beat a level, um, it's like that satisfaction of overcoming challenge and, and putting things together and just that little I guess it's little bits of, of power in a way that you can achieve, like you've proven that you can do something and it builds your confidence that you'll be able to do the next thing. Um, and so I think that when we're talking about fun, we're just really talking about like many little transactions that happen while we play that build to this feeling of, of, of flowing along and progressing. It's a great uh, sound bite, muddy little transactions. <laughs> many, many little. Oh, okay. Sorry. But it's a so muddy sorry. sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's funny because, you know, when we're designing uh, levels or missions, uh, you'd, you'd think that we'd constantly be going, all right, is it fun, is it not, this is boring, yada, yada. But what we really, what I ask the guys to do is uh, tell me what emotion you're trying to, you know, to get the player to feel. Uh, and it can, it can be anything. Sometimes, it, sometimes it'll be superiority. So you'll set him up in an elevated position where he can 
uh, you know, rain fire down on his enemies. That's just an example. I'm not actually doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not actually working on anything. It's amazing. <laughs> it's about, you know, it's about uh, creating scenarios inside the game that allow for this kind of, uh, not translation, that's the wrong word, but... Uh, I was going to speak in French. I can only do that at the office. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's just like, it's a question of getting uh, players to feel something uh, by using, you know, the, the, the environment and uh, the mechanics or w whether it be the enemies or uh, the power-ups or stuff like that. So it's, it's never necessarily been about fun. Um, yeah. I think like I don't know, some of the interesting things, the things that are harder and more interesting to try to make the player feel might be things like guilt, which you want to, you have to use sparingly, right? Obviously, but um, I think that just really adds adds something the to, to an experience. They require like a, a large setup. You can't just walk into a room and go, oh, I feel guilty, or well. Yeah. Maybe you could design something, but <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm not there yet. Um, but I mean, they do require like uh, a long setup. That's why the last, the second to last mission in Freedom Cry worked because of everything you'd accomplished beforehand. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned was, uh, you know, this idea like that you get asked a lot about like, was it risky? Are you nervous about that? Like, I, you know, sort of the background of that question you know, kind of is that a lot of games don't take this risk. And, like, that question yeah. would probably be asked less if yeah. more games were trying things like that. So do you, why do you think more games aren't trying stuff like that? I don't know, because I'm not on the other games. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, I don't know, I wonder, like, game designers come into, um, like, why do they come into the industry? It's not necessarily to answer tough questions. Like, everybody has their own, um, you know, motivations. That was distracting. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> they come into the industry to throw a bottle against a wall. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I think if people, I don't know, if, they, if you just really loved beating levels and you think it would be super cool to work in the industry, then you're going to come at it from a different perspective than, uh, like, if you've been writing novels about gay teenagers. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's just like... The more perspectives that we get working in the industry, the more different types of games that we have, and the, I think the more comfortable we'll become with the fact that we can have these different types of games, and they don't all have to to lead to the player's glory to be successful. Yeah. I, well, I, I, my tendency would be to say the exact same thing you just said. Is I'm not on the other team, so I cannot say why they're, they they won't or can't uh, try that type of stuff, but. I mean, it's not. It's a generalization, right? There are uh, other games that have been working. Uh, yeah. You used what, Brothers and, uh, and uh, Papers, Please as an example. I mean, Maybe people are, are other moving. Triple A's, like you know, Mass Effect and Dragon Age touch on issues, um, work on them from a different perspective than we do. Yeah. I mean, there Mass Effect. I think it's Mass Effect Three had same-sex relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean, did anybody make a big deal about it? I, I'm asking. I don't know. I, um, for me, it was just like, okay, this is perfectly sometimes normal. Sometimes it's a good. It's good if people make a big deal out of something because there's there's like a, a silent majority that maybe actually feels what you feel, but they they haven't stood up and, and said it, and and they'll sort of be happy that you'll stand up and make something that other people might complain about. Um, 
And I think, you know, video game companies have to make money, and it's not necessarily obvious that you can make money with something that's difficult. Um, but it certainly is possible. Um, and I'm glad that we're working for a studio that's willing to try it out. <laughs> Well, because, you know, games need to, like, like you said, like, you know, if you think about the games as purely as a business, then, you know, who wants to be the one that takes the risk to prove that, like, drama or tough subjects, like, are appealing to an audience, but then once someone does it, you know, hopefully maybe that snowballs into allowing other companies to take a risk on that stuff. You know, like, the advice that you give to, to beginning entrepreneurs or art collectors, it's never, like, just go out and try to make money. We, we tell entrepreneurs and art collectors to collect what they personally appreciate and to try to focus on a business that you actually want to devote your life to, and I think it's the same thing in games. It's funny, I never thought of us as setting kind of an example for for tackling difficult themes. You're such a role model, Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of what you guys what you guys do is like it's actually like what makes Freedom Cry different um, is that you know other games tackle you know or have tackled or try and tackle different subjects, but Freedom Cry like is, it's ingrained in the mechanics, right? Like, and you guys talked about that where like you know you flip the script on the plantation stuff and ends up becoming sort of a meta commentary on how you can't really solve this even if the game doesn't spell that out. And I found. You know, I found that to be extremely powerful as a motivator in playing the game um, that isn't your traditional sort of like player objective. And yet, once you sort of like reflect on like how that sort of like, when it repopulates the world, like you just, your first reaction is like, oh, okay, of course, like the game is, needs to give me more things to do in this open world. But then when you think about it in the context of the game, like, you know, it's, it's pretty heavy <laughs> in a yeah. way. Um, it, one of the things that you mentioned was that Ubisoft had done sort of internal studies that showed that sort of a younger generation of players actually expects more variety in sort of you know gender representation, racial representation. Like, I was wondering if you talk a little bit more about you know what exactly you found, and because it seems like that ties into exactly some of the sort of I guess risks you want to take with with some of your games. Um, yeah, I, I guess. And it could. I'm not. I'm not sure how much of it comes out of generational expectations, and how much of it comes out of the fact that that these people are still young, and that young people tend to be quite open-minded. But I think that the trend that we are seeing is is that there's more just of an expectation of uh, of gender neutrality or ambiguity. Um, there's certainly no glory in sexism for generation. Y and Z, um, and they, they just expect to see like it doesn't. They're concerned about their world, and so they want to see. They want to be able to play through their concerns, and they want to be able to work on coming up with solutions to things. It's, it's just, I guess they're they're also not necessarily just in it for fun because it's, it's the generations of people born or who grew up with, you know, post 9/11. Um, the environment has been a serious concern the entire time they've been alive. Their parents share some of their concerns. So something that like Generation X works on with Generation Z. Right. Um, so I think it's just kind of natural evolution of society that the attention is turning this way. It goes with you know the globalization too, I and mean, just the fact that uh, you see all sorts of different people. Uh, in whatever it is you consume on the internet or on TV or stuff like that, it's things that weren't necessarily present a long time ago. Uh, and yeah. I think, you know, there's, if, if, I don't know, if I'm watching a YouTube video and uh, there are, uh, actually, I'm going in the wrong direction with this, but it's funny, I can't remember who was talking about this, but it was during the briefing that 
uh, we got for um, the, the, the younger generations, mm. how someone had said that um, he remembers uh, the first time he'd seen a black person because he, it wasn't something that was available to him uh, because there was no internet, there was, there was none of that type of stuff. And, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that's true. The internet opens things up. You're no longer, if your community is isolated, you don't have to be isolated. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think of the, you know, when I've talked about sort of, sort of some of these topics about, uh, and you've touched on this about like, you know, increased diversity, both in terms of like the staff, which would then hopefully inevitably lead to just more diverse approaches to games and, and subjects and games. Um, often you hear from some players that they, they get really nervous about this sort of like, censorship out of forced diversity, which obviously is not a line that I agree with, but this idea that including more diversity is somehow limiting uh, the creative of, of certain games just because they want to appeal to wider demographics. I think it's actually the opposite, and a lot of people need, like we need to train ourselves out of, uh, you know, identifying good candidates by what they look like. It's a kind of a natural impulse to hire people who are like you, um, which I think means as soon as we get like a certain base number of, a certain like basic diversity in place as uh, in, in place to hire, then it will even itself out. But like if, if the whole industry has been one way and they just keep hiring people exactly like them and they come to recognize quality as a guy, another guy in a t-shirt and a hoodie you right know? it's it's more about turning off that impulse to only see quality in certain people um, and to be able to perceive quality in uh, in everyone like I can remember once working in a situation we had a, a brilliant voice designer and someone actually said later like who was that who was that old woman and why why was she in the studio I'm like okay that's our voice designer and she's <laughs> Excellent, and um, I would much sooner work with her any day than with you ever again. Uh, so it's really, I think that we actually currently miss out on a lot of quality. And um, the other, th the other aspect of it is that if if someone has a harder time getting accepted, then they've probably they may well have worked harder to get themselves in front of you. So I don't think there's, I don't think that's a genuine concern that we should have, that we'll be missing out on quality by building diversity. It's probably the opposite. I, there's something to be said for trying to encourage, uh, like if we're talking about the team, to uh, encourage other, uh, whether it be uh, women or minorities or whatever, to get uh, involved in this. Because I know I have, um, like I'll have a stack of resumes on my desk, and they're all white guys. There, there are, I don't get any, I've gotten one woman applicant for a level design position uh, over the course of, the, well, Jesus, the, I don't know how many years I've, over the course yeah. of the last uh, three or four years. You have to go out and look for people. I know that I hear from women like, oh, I'd really like to work in games, but I know I'm going to have a hard time because I'm a girl. And so I spend yeah. a fair amount of time just trying to be visible so that people have an option to say, okay, well... There's at least one woman that I know of, and maybe so. It's <laughs> maybe not, I can be number two. It's not completely <laughs> impossible. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it seems like that, like that sort of stuff, like a sort of like this self-perpetuating cycle, like with like with a lack of visibility, people just yeah. sort of write it off as a potential option, and thus like yeah. make making the idea of like more increased diversity take even longer. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's a, everything is in a cycle. It's in the content, it's in the fan base, it's in the hiring, and it all it all kind of works together. 
Um, but that actually means that you can attack the problem from whichever part of the cycle you feel like you have the most influence over. So I don't think it's um, as desperate or hopeless as it sometimes seems. I think that <laughs> I think that the tipping point of like finding just enough people to, to work on this in the right places, um, I think we can actually bring about positive change pretty quickly. Um, I'm curious, you know, sort of back to Freedom Cry, when you, you talked about this idea of... Uh, getting away from traditional uh, understandings of fun. Like, it's one thing to like sort of set that up, design it, and then it goes out into the world, and then players sort of interpret it you know, the way they're going to interpret it, no matter what you guys had planned in the first place. Um, and you can play test, and you can plan for all you want, but obviously things can change once they play it. What surprised you about how people sort of took the game and some of the themes? Um, what surprised me? I'm the harshest critic of my own work, so anything I put out, I can pretty much only see <laughs> what's wrong with it until someone else picks it up. And I remember what we wanted people to take away from Freedom Cry at the beginning of the project, and they, when the early feedback started coming back, it was like, oh, they actually just played the game and went in and took out exactly the things that they hoped they would. They, you know, struggled. Um, with the like the morality of, of saving people versus recruiting people, they um, they realized that, that they were never gonna be able to help everyone. They encountered the moment where they actually made a decision, like they, they were supposed to go on with their mission objective, but then they noticed um, a slave in danger, and so they they sort of temporarily abandoned their mission to go help that that person, even while knowing that helping that person wasn't gonna. You know, <laughs> Help them they, on their they struggled yeah. with all of the things that we felt were important, um, and they and they, they they had a huge emotional response to you know the moment of the game when everything seems lost. So I'm usually a huge optimist for this type of stuff, but I was really worried with Freedom Cry. I thought, uh, you know, I thought maybe uh, they wouldn't understand what we were trying to do, and you know, all the reactions, all the positive reactions to it actually is what surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> was there, was, you know, you, you guys talked about in, in the presentation about, uh, you know, traditionally games like want to empower players so they can be the, like sort of the hero character and solve everything and everything kind of neatly tied up at the end. And obviously the, you know, general aim of Fruit and Cry using slavery as a subject matter, like that's going to be impossible, or at least it wouldn't be truthful to, to have the player do that. But as you're doing like the play testing and you're getting like all this like concrete feedback that maybe people are uncomfortable, like you, you touched on this a little bit, like there has to be a temptation that like, oh man, like maybe, you know, is there, maybe we've gone too far on this, like maybe like, like how do you straddle that line between like you want to make them uncomfortable, you want them to, you know, engage with this heavy subject matter, but then, you know, there's always a line you're, you're trying, to, trying to find on that. Well, I mean, they weren't disgusted, they, they were uncomfortable, and I mean, when uh, I found out from this from the playtest reports, I was like, all right, this is going in the game. End of story. Um, there, there are always discussions on the floor about whether or not it should be, but I mean, I think that, you know, I realized we were achieving what we were trying to do. Um, I think the players, they were grounded, like, Adewale is still heroic. Um, and they He's still were, cutting dudes' throats. They like, were actually, <laughs> people really seem to understand that like, he could be heroic and, and yet not quite achieve everything, that it's enough to, to sort of help um, this little community survive so that eventually they can produce their own revolution. Um, and it was sort of nice 
to 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 see that pe- players could appreciate that that they didn't need to set off the revolution themselves that it was enough to have have played a part um yeah um and I, and I guess my last question like you know seeing players and even myself you know uh you know when you get uncomfortable, like I enjoy that thing. Like I like watching movies that make me feel uncomfortable. I feel like that makes you feel an emotion that, you know, especially in games, is well outside the spectrum of how you usually feel, which is empowered. But um, even you know, Freedom Cry is sort of in the context of like you know, it's it's a predominantly violent game that you know the players doing a lot of violent actions, and uh, none of that makes me very uncomfortable anymore. <laughs> like I'm curious, I'm curious how you feel. Um, and that's not so much of a critique as much as that's just kind of how games sort of generally are and a lot of the constructs that we see games set in, but where players are pretty okay with, you know, like slitting a guy's throat, um, but then, you know, you know, and then you put in slavery and like, it's partially uncomfortable because obviously just purely it's uncomfortable, but then it's new, uh, whereas sort of like violence has sort of become not something maybe entirely desensitized, but we're sort of used to that as a construct for, for the player to engage with the world. Well, and we do a lot of things in games to make enemies more killable. You know, we make them less personally yeah. recognizable. We give them, you know, cats to kick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we make it like, okay, you can just kill this guy because he needs killing. All they ever um, say is, kill that guy, kill that guy. And, um, like, there, there are little techniques. This is what's fun about being a writer is that there are little techniques that you can do to add back humanity at strange times, like... Uh, like having NPCs who have relatable, humorous discussions about just goofy stuff. I've seen players, um, I know Richard Dansky has a story about this too. Players are just like, well, I can't kill that guy. He's like my cousin Dave. And like, <laughs> actually, like engineer entirely different ways of solving uh, the level just so they could not kill that one sort of character that they perceived as a goofy stoner. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, something like the the example from the talk that we used with the where the the slaves will be punished, not you, if you um, raid a plantation because the overseers will assume that everybody is in on it and they're planning a big slave rebellion. Um, so something like that, which caused players then to take a stealth approach. That's like an interesting way where we sort of reintroduced humanity um, via via the mean guys. Well, yeah, I mean, enemies nowadays are basically, you know, the cardboard cutouts at a shooting range. They, they, don't, have, <laughs> they don't have any emotion. They don't have any depth. So, you know, it, it doesn't really move you to kill them. But, I mean, if, if we took the time to build uh, enemies, and I don't know how we could do this, but, you know, as having a life or a wife, if you start to think that the guy you're about to take down has a wife and three kids... And he's just trying to provide or if for the them. The guy you're trying to take down is a wife with three kids. Excellent example. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get the same results in terms of how you feel towards that violence. 